This is a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne, truly independent community radio. You're tuned to Smart Arts here on Triple R. Richard Watts taking you through until midday today. And let's talk now about the Melbourne Art Fair, which in February 2016 suddenly announced that well, it essentially seemed to have been cancelled. Some people use the word collapsed. Um, uh, but yes, so the Biennial Fair, which had been running for 28 years, February last year, suddenly it's cancelled, it's gone. But we now have the new Melbourne Art Fair, a, a right. revived, kind of resurrected and <laughs> I imagine possibly revitalised uh Melbourne Art Fair. Joining us in the studio, the Director and CEO of the Melbourne Art Foundation, Marie de Pasquale. Welcome. Thank you, Richard. How are you? Very well, very well. So for people from the visual arts sector Mm. who were wondering what the hell happened last Mm. year, can you give us a quick, uh, Pracy, of why the the Art Fair, one of the most significant visual arts events in the Melbourne calendar, Mm. announced its, what, postponement, temporary cancellation? Mm. Definitely a postponement. I think, look, obviously I wasn't working for the Foundation at the time, but it struck the entire industry, myself included, as um, uh, quite a surprise. Um, there was certainly a wave of disappointment, and I think the industry collectively came together and thought, how, how could this happen after 28 years? Um, it was a postponement, not a cancellation. So it was really a decision made by the board of that time to stop and reassess what they were doing as a foundation. Um, also take stock of what the Melbourne Art Fair has been historically and what it should be going forward. And, and what that has allowed them to do is build a new team, myself included, um, and really come back with a revitalised platform that we're pleased to say will be happening in August next year. So you came on board in May this year. I did, yeah. Um, what state was the organisation in? So the foundation has been running throughout that time. They have an operational board. We have an operational board. So the foundation has been looking or recruiting for a CEO and director, and that's obviously my role. As soon as I started, it was really... uh, time for strategic planning. So we sat down collectively as a board, reassessed what we were doing, built a new structure in terms of staffing, which I'm pleased to say we've recruited a great team um, all on board and really started the plans uh, for next year's fair. But beyond that also, our other activities. So Melbourne Art Fair is our major commercial initiative, but we also manage the MAF Awards for the Visual Arts and a range of non-profit platforms that take place during that week. So the projects, the commissions, etc. So it's been a very busy few months. I can imagine. (laughs) Now, it would help that you're already familiar with Melbourne Art Fair, having been, uh, what, uh, assistant director Mm. for the Melbourne Art Fair and also Sydney Contemporary, uh, 2012 to 2014. Mm. Now, I understand that one of the issues that helped perhaps led to the cancellation of the Melbourne Art Fair was that a Sydney-based firm were running it and there was some tension there with the way it was being run. Is that the case? Yeah, I think the foundation were keen to have a full team not just a director and a CEO, but the full team in its entirety, um, living and breathing the Melbourne art scene. And that's really the direct direction that they've ended up taking. So um, whilst when I was working for the Melbourne Art Fair, I was based in Melbourne, it really is about having the entirety of the team down here. Yeah. So when the Melbourne Art Fair returns in August 2018, mm-hmm. previous years uh, it had been at the... Uh, Royal Exhibition Centre, kind of next to the museum, a beautiful old building. Now, next year, moving to a temporary space. Is this 
like a, a cheaper alternative to create a pop-up space or are there hidden costs involved that, <laughs> that go along with making essentially an entirely new venue? Always. And, you know, it is a temporary structure but it's a permanent site. So for us this is very much a long-term plan. Um, it takes place within the South Bank Arts Precinct which is an incredible area of Melbourne. And as a Melbourneian, I'm sure you're familiar with it. Um, there's over 30 different arts organisations that are there. Uh, the fair will take place in a temporary structure alongside ACCA in the Northern Forecourt, which is pretty incredible. Uh, and So essentially for people, if they're trying to familiar, uh, think where that will be, yep. it's that area uh, between Acker and uh, the Sculpture Vault. That's right. That's that's perfect. And also the undercroft that moves into the central space between Malthouse and Acker. So we'll be really utilising the entirety of that area. Um, also looking at different exhibition spaces and pop-ups throughout the whole precinct. So we're very keen um, and have had great discussions so far in activating the entirety of the precinct, right from um, Acker and Malthouse and Chunky Move all the way through to the University of Melbourne, VCA faculty and MCM, of course, um, the future Buxton Contemporary, Art Centre Melbourne, Melbourne, NGV, you know, it really is probably the most unique creative arts precinct in Australia. It's also an arts precinct with challenges because everything is internal rather than external. Right. We've had uh, a previous state government trying to introduce a finer grain, as they said, to the area to bring more life to it. How challenging will it be to activate that space given that, as we say, it's essentially a series of empty windswept blocks in which all the activity takes place indoors? And that's a beauty of Melbourne Art Fair. So for us, we are an outdoor activity in a sense. It is within the structure but we will be utilising space Spaces around the area. So Melbourne Art Fair brings that injection and vibrancy that the precinct is probably um, has been asking for for quite some time. So the idea is that having a large-scale event of that nature will connect those different spaces in new ways and that'll be through programming events, exhibitions. So there will be walking involved um, between the different areas, of course, but we feel that that will add an extra element to Melbourne Art Week that hasn't been there necessarily before. And we're certainly talking about a large-scale event for people who've not attended earlier iterations of the Melbourne Art Fair. Uh, you're looking at 40 to 50 galleries from across Australia, the Asia Pacific and some significant international galleries as well mm-hmm. and over 20,000 people attending over the, the, the days that the Art Fair runs from the, the opening night vernissage through to the, the weekends as well. It's an event that's focused as much on uh, the collector mm-hmm. as it is on displaying contemporary art trends. For people who've not been to an event like the Melbourne Art Fair... Uh, what would you advise them to 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 how how do, how do you frame your mm. approach to an event like this particularly if you're somebody new who is interested in uh contemporary art but would not necessarily consider themselves by any means an, a collector mm. and i think melbourne art fair plays an important role obviously in attracting collectors but also a new generation of collector or a new audience or a new arts interested audience so for us it's as much about cultivating or fostering the development of those new collectors and buyers as it is about providing something challenging and interesting for our more experienced collectors. So we really do approach it on a few different levels. There is obviously the exhibition component of the commercial aspect of the fair, um, which is the most important, Um, but there's also a programming element for those arts-interested public uh, that is really geared toward education and informing. So So, talks, panels, discussions... Exactly, exactly. And that is done in a both informal and formal way. So it really is about opening up your eyes to what's happening in the contemporary art scene, not just in Australia, but also regionally. And that's why we'll focus on Australian galleries, but also New Zealand and and the Asia Pacific as well.
Will the commissions program continue? Yes, absolutely. So the foundation is much bigger than a commercial art fair. Um, a lot of our projects um, are non-profit in nature. So um, whilst the commercial art fair will still maintain that commercial essence, we will be focusing on other projects such as the commission and, and also the project rooms. If you are a gallerist and uh, you're listening to this conversation, you probably already know, but gallery applications for Melbourne Art Fair 2018 open in about a week's time on the 15th of July. The revitalised Melbourne Art Fair returning to the South Bank precinct, uh, well, moving to the South Bank precinct, I should say, but (laughs) returning to Melbourne in uh, August next year, running from the 2nd to the 5th of August uh, outside Acker and in the surrounding areas. I have to say I'm quite delighted that it's returned. It's a, a really significant event and a rare opportunity to to be exposed to so much contemporary work in one hit. It's kind of, it's like mainlining 50 galleries, <laughs> exhibitions all at once. Exactly, and that's the beauty of an art fair, you know, and especially these days when everybody's time poor, not just collectors but the public generally, to have all of that exposure contemporary, to contemporary art in one space is pretty amazing, so we're thrilled. Marie, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Thanks, Richard. You're listening to a podcast from Community Radio 3RRR in Melbourne, Australia. My next guest has joined us in the studio to talk television and things related there too. Helen Simonson is the producer of Series Mania, which is uh, a new event coming to Acme. Helen, it's been described, Series Mania, as the, 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 the television equivalent of the Cannes Film Festival. What is Series Mania? Uh, yeah, in fact, that's a variety quote, that it's the Cannes of television. Uh, it is... It is a television uh, festival and what's particularly interesting about this festival, it's been going for eight years uh, in Paris, um, Forum d'Hommage, an institution very similar to ACME, has run it and successfully brought together industry and um, public viewers. So it is really about screening and watching television and having conversations behind the scenes, conversations and industry conversations all together. So that sort of is the distinction, I guess. And In some ways, then, the Khan analogy, analogy is not a good one because Khan uh, is very much an industry event. It's not a public event. It gets buzz. Yeah, yeah but the public aren't involved. And I think what that is is the prestige that is attached because it is a hugely prestigious uh, festival. So um, we get to bring it to Melbourne for the first time and it opens on the 20th of July and it goes through to the 24th. So we're we're starting off. We're not going to have as long a festival as they do in Paris. They have something like... 10 days and 60,000 people come along to this festival. Ours is, you know, a smaller curated version. But what the great part of the curated version is is that we've been able to take the 2017 and sort of pick over the best TV series to do a really small curated package. Now, the fact that the festival began in France eight years ago very much uh, ties in with the rise of television that Mm. we've seen over the last decade and the phrase the golden age of television gets bandied around constantly but there is an enormous amount of content being created uh, for television not necessarily watched on television people are watching on iPads laptops other devices as well but there's an enormous amount of material being produced and a lot of great quality to the point where TV has really seemed to have eclipsed cinema in terms of audacious ambitious complex and rich storytelling why 
Well, it's long form, I think, and that's what most people who are working in that area are really striving to really build and create stories and um, create characters over time and they can do that in a way with that sort of very complex serial narratives that you can't quite get in the three-act kind of cinema model. So I think that is absolutely part of the process. Actors are really getting on board, so a lot of actors that would be considered cinema actors want to create television. And there are just... I guess it's come to a stage where there's been such an international influence around how television is um, working across the globe that it's it's quite sophisticated and that kind of riffing on genre is happening. So you're getting some really audacious, as you say, kind of styles and genres, you know, arriving. And we've got one in there called Supermax, which is an Argentinian series. And it's a a reality TV... It's set as a reality TV show, but it's a prison genre piece and it's a bit got a bit of lost kind of time warp weird things going down and uh, Daniel Berman who's a sort of he's a well-known Argentinian film director has directed this as his first original uh, Netflix production uh, and he's currently on his second and it's a really extraordinary piece of um, genre busting really so it's you know it's it's fantastic what people are doing and how they're exploring it. How significant are companies like Netflix to the growth of TV at the moment? Because 10, 15 years ago, the idea of sitting down to stream, live stream a TV show, given the, the quality of, uh, of, the, of broadband and so forth, was pretty unfathomable, whereas today it's something that people are just ingesting in enormous kind of like it's it's like literally people seem to sit down in front of their screen whatever that screen may be and just kind of absorb kind of entire slabs of of, slabs in fact you wouldn't want to really try and work out how many hours you've devoted and (laughs) wild away at a television show or series or two when you get into that binge stage uh it is that they're real it has been a, the platforms have been a game changer, and they're putting money into productions as well. So we've got um, support from Stan, and we're screening the White Princess that will happen later. That's a Philippa Gregory book of the same name, and it is a really huge, high tone drama, you know, epic historical piece. And we've got Essie Davies also doing a Q and A on uh, with that after the screening. Um, so there, those you know, Netflix original, uh, the Amazon Prime. Hulu, they're all contributing to production uh, content and also the high level of production. And I know in the industry day there'll be a bit of a note that gets discussed around, you know, how sustainable is this as we keep going into this sort of high-toned production. Million dollar per episode or that's more. Right, yeah. That's right, that's yeah. right. How does that sustain? I mean, there'll be some really interesting conversations. I mean, we've got Vince Gilligan, uh, the showrunner from Breaking Bad, with us for Series Mania and, of course, he's the master of long-form storytelling and that idea that you can build that sort of tension that you want to come back episode after episode, season after season, which, you know, for me, I felt like that was one of the strengths of Breaking Bad is that it just got better over time, you know. <laughs> and it's a pretty extraordinary thing when you think about people are still writing, not knowing where the seasons are going to continue and that they can actually keep building is, you know, kind of fairly good crafts. 
given, process. Given the vast quantity of work being created for television at the moment, curating something like Series Mania must be a bit of a challenge because you have so much to choose from. I know it is. It's extraordinarily challenging and it's about getting a kind of a range because people have their genre tastes and styles and also being able to say this is really interesting television. I mean, it is dra- it's driven predominantly by drama. That's our interest. So, that, so if I talked about reality TV, it was in a drama genre. Uh, there's a bit of comedy as well, but that is what our focus is on. And we're also quite interested in the new web series, that phenomena. So there are a couple of really important web series that we're screening. Um, Other People's Problems will have a world premiere, as will um, The Edge of the Bush, which is an ABC web series that is done with comedian Anne Edmonds and one of the catering girls directing. Um, we also have Get Kraken. Uh, which is a TV series from the Catering Girls web series. So it's that evolution of web series. Um, Some of our international guests are bringing with them a lot of expertise in what they're calling digital drama, which is slightly different to web series. So sometimes the idea of web series is that it's how you you do a pilot or you do a web series and that becomes a television series. Well, in this case, it's, no, they're high production value, 10-minute, 10 by 10 and therefore that sort of fast mobile content and in fact some of them are spending more money than they are in the long TV series so interesting. It's been interesting seeing uh, given that I know socially and personally so many actors and so forth a lot of people as you say doing right we'll create a a YouTube series and it will be a calling card uh, in the same way that some people would see a short film as practice for making uh, a feature film and to get them noticed but in the same way that a short story is such a polished perfect art form in and of itself uh, it doesn't need to be a novel it's fascinating to see people who are just embracing as you say that short form online content in its own Own right right. Mm. yeah yeah, that's particularly interesting. So, you know, there's going to be lots of conversations around that and how that mobile... And that's, again, as you made mention, it's about how we're consuming media now that's making those changes. And the, the rate at which content gets to market is so different, you know. The, so sometimes they're not even needing big marketing campaigns because, you know, it drops in your Netflix box that certain piece of television is going to happen and you're like right I'm there so you know they just it's just a very different world around you know how we're consuming television that's for sure. How are those consumption patterns changing narrative structure? Well I think they're making them far more complex overall because that from the binge process that we really are delving into these very sophisticated really dense um where as audiences we're really familiar with a lot of those genres and they've come from different regions so you know we weren't certainly not assuming it's just the english-speaking country that are driving that you well, know scandi noir for scandi example noir, if we're talking totally. genre yeah. um and israeli dramas are you know often find their way into remakes like Homeland was an originally an Israeli production we've got a couple of Israeli productions in our um, mix and one of them is a drama called Your Honor and that is a really strong work uh, and we've actually got Loaded which is a UK production but it was originally an Israeli uh, production. In fact, we're bringing the Israeli original team to the Q&A at the end of the, the screening. So, I mean, what's interesting about the series mania for us is that we present free screenings over Friday, all Saturday, all Sunday, and each session will either have a Q&A live or a Q&A as a Skype with if they're inter- there's some international guests or a really kind of 
contextual conversation about where it fits. So you get to see two episodes in a massive big cinema and with beautiful sound because, you know, often people say, well, why would you leave... The well, comfort of your own comfort home. comfort of your own home. But if you will notice that that television is looking for those festival moments and certainly MIF opens with Top of the Lake. Uh, we had one uh, piece we really had did want to bring to Series Mania but they held out for Toronto. So, you know, that's happening a lot, that kind of bring it to the event, bring it to the cinema, have that really rich, big experience. Well, it was interesting even at MIF a, a few years ago when The Slap premiered, for example, yep. kind of MIF show the first couple of episodes and it generates a buzz which is what the producers want and it's fascinating to watch hardcore dedicated cinephiles initially getting their hackles up going but it's not cinema it's television it doesn't belong here and then them starting to get sucked in as well so we're seeing boundaries changing and blurring we're also really seeing something that and i'm something that i've particularly enjoyed over watching over the recent years is the the rise of genre and genre fiction that used to be kind of dismissed as fantasy science fiction kind of uh thriller horror it's not it's not serious drama whereas as we see this diversification of platforms and and the rise of binge viewing and so forth genre has become and genre storytelling has become such a a dominant medium in the 21st century yeah it is and 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 that's really exciting because it just it, it just you know um, creates a whole host of different TV programs and ways of working. I mean, there's that the whole reboots, the remakes, you know, the the, the twists on. I mean, they're they're, all, they're just there's a play in that, and and because there's such a demand for content, everyone's you know just getting to make a lot, and it's not such a bad thing, really. If you've just tuned in, we're chatting to Helen Simonsons, who's the producer of Series Mania at Acme, the uh, Australian Centre for the Moving Image. Acme and Film Victoria are presenting Series Mania Melbourne, running from the 20th to the 24th of July. It's a festival celebrating contemporary television. Helen, as you've said, there's um, public uh, part of it and also an industry day as well. Talk to us a little bit about that industry day because I'm sure there are industry members listening, pricking up their ears going, what's going to be discussed? What are the trends? What are the challenges? What do we need to be on top of before we attend the industry day? (laughs) Um, The industry day is, uh, we're working with Film Victoria and they're really driving that part of our program. Um, We're certainly working with them to, to make that and shape that, but they're the ones that are driving that. And the conversation is shaped around some of the guests that we're bringing across to the festival. Um, obviously, we, as, as I've mentioned, we have Vince Gilligan, so he is going to really... Um, he does a public talk, but he is going to do a really sort of drill-down um, conversation around international television and how you build long series and, um, you know, characterisation, all of those kinds of things will be part of his conversation. Uh, we have uh, a, a representative, uh, Clementine Gay from... Studio Plus, and she is somebody who's commissioning uh, these mobile dramas, so that sort of high production value web, and she's very interested in coming to Australia to see what content's around as well. So for many of the internationals, they're here because they've got an interest. Um, We also have uh, a representative from Arte who's head of fiction, and he's coming because he has bought quite a bit of Australian television over time, so um, he just bought Seven Levels of Ambiguity, uh, and they're distributing that within Europe. So 
So that allows us to have a conversation from a European perspective. Um, what is important? What do they see about Australian television that's interesting? Um, we have people who are going to help us do a sort of international scan in that industry day. So the curator from Series Mania, Francois Pierre, um, Pellinard Lambert is coming to sort of really talk about his eight years uh, as the main one of the main curators of Series Mania, but also as an editor of Film France. Um, what has been, you know, what's coming through? Where are the genres? Where are the interests? Who's buying what? What's when, the how? next flashpoint? Yeah, yeah. And, how, and how you consider, you know, competing in a global world. So that, you know, and those conversations about local, global, dare I say global, I will. <laughs> uh, but it is a conversation where you can have uh, local stories with a, and a universal appeal, but you've got to, there's, you know, some thinking about that. And in some, some ways it's this... Uh, the specificity specificity yes. of a local story that makes it international because totally. kind of the more specific and, and unique a story becomes in some the the more appeal there is to it as opposed to kind of bland euro pudding style productions which are trying to be international and fail dismally and yep that's exactly right so that kind of balance we'll be talking about quite a lot so uh, and also you know just where uh, some of the very aspirational Australian content because some big ones coming through I know where uh, premier Sunshine as, as part of our opening night, which is an SBS production uh, with uh, it's set in the south uh, in Sunshine the suburb with the South Sudanese community, and there's some really interesting actors that are going to be there. That's opening. We have um, speakers as part of that, and there's some of the new dramas that are going to be presented along with Pulse, which is a great medical drama from ABC, and that is a really refreshing, quite different Australian medical drama. And uh, so you can see the shifts and changes in our own television production. Um, and there are some big productions that just weren't ready in time that are coming through, like Wake in Fright and Picnic at Hanging Rock. So those sort of start as classic novels, uh, films, move to television, you know, kind of journey, which is also a big thing as well. The very first Series Mania Melbourne, jointly presented by Acme and Film Victoria, is running from the 20th to the 24th of July. Uh, the full program for the public is free, but uh, I suggest you book. Jump online, acne.net.au forward slash series mania. The only drawback I can see to this entire event, Helen, in terms of uh, members of the public who are going along rather than industry, is they're only going to get to see a couple of episodes of a series. It's going to leave them hanging for more. Well, can I say we'll always let everybody know where they can go and get the long form unless it hasn't been picked up by anybody, in which case we can't do that. But there's ways of finding. I won't say any more than that. <laughs> I'm sure you're not inferring any kind of illegal activities. No, not at all. Thanks for coming in. Thank you. Three. Triple. Always nice to have a round of applause to uh, welcome my next guests to the studio. Uh, I'm joined by the Artistic Director of Queensland Theatre, Sam Strong, and actor Ray chong Nee to talk about the co-production Noises Off, by, uh, which is jointly presented by Queensland Theatre and MTC. Gentlemen, welcome to well, welcome back to Triple R, I should say. That's lovely, lovely to be back. Thanks Good for having morning. us. Good morning. And happy birthday, of course. Not everyone said that to you already, but... Um, Look, I even got a song from the so, listies, so... Uh, beautiful. Uh, yeah. Great. That's fantastic. Yeah. Well, Ray's going to sing. <laughs> no, <it's> not. <laughs> so, Noises Off, I, I've never seen a production of this before, so I'm delighted that it's being staged. Um, and one of the reasons I'm delighted is because it's acclaimed as kind of this epic contemporary farce. 
Why is it such a, a good play? I think we an interesting thing. There's an interesting relationship for me between um, its acclaim and the and the play. In that, um, you know, the acclaim tends to always be around. This is this is such a funny play. You know, there's all those things about funniest play ever written, um, which is which is true. But um, I think the reason it's endured is because it's both a work of substance and a work of comedy, uh, and those two things work together. And I think it's even funnier um, because it's about real people and real people who take themselves quite seriously. Uh, and sometimes it's been interesting when you put. Um, noises off and the kind of reputation of noises off in front of people uh, is that it's a, it has a wonderful cumulative effect on an audience where the humour builds and grows uh, and like, like a, any great farce, I suppose, the kind of setting up of the mechanism uh, and the winding up of the mechanism is very important to the ultimate unleashing of it. Uh, so it, while it is very funny, it takes its time to grow, doesn't it? Yeah, and structurally it's just so robust, which is why people try and break it, but the play <laughs> breaks them, realistically. It cannot be broken, yeah. <laughs> uh, don't say that. Inviting So it's a play about um, a theatre company at their final dress rehearsal before a show opens. So it's already a meta-theatrical piece of theatre and anybody involved with the theatre world know that, yeah, it's usually that final dress run or tech run that goes horribly wrong. So is it, I don't know, is it, in terms of playing theatre about theatre, is there the risk that this is the kind of show that's going to disappear up its own ass? I don't think so. Uh, I think we're trying to treat it as much as we can as an invitation to the audience um, just to see um, the goings-on that happens in any normal rehearsal. But then uh, the flip side of that is Act 2 where the, the, the chaos starts to happen. And I think we're trying to... Um, delineate what actually happens in a, a normal pro- rehearsal process and then the level at which these uh, actors are performing the actual stage show nothing on. So I think any fear about it disappearing anywhere near a orifice yeah, is okay. It's, it's, yeah. it's, we're, we're, we're okay. It's an open mouth. It's a funny one. <laughs> I, I, tend, I tend to agree with... Uh, um, with Ray, and that I, I think of it as a workplace comedy rather than necessarily a, a kind of backstage comedy. I mean, yes, it is backstage, but a comedy. But I think um, what makes it uh, so enduring and what's made it so attractive to lots of audiences um, is that it doesn't alienate. It does invite audiences in, uh, and what they recognise is human behaviour that is exacerbated by the context. But it's human behaviour that they recognise in any case, whether they've seen it. In, in whatever workplace they've inhabited, um, it's, it's, it's behaviour that we all, uh, for good or for ill, recognise. Well, that's it. In each workplace, you'll find these people. Yeah. What the sorts funny, of people? Yeah, yeah. The funny leader, particularly, I think he's very, he the, or she is very yeah, important. Yeah, the pretty bombshell, the, uh, the ageing uh, madam um, or mistress, uh, the... Um, person who talks too much. The person who talks too much, the elusive man who, keep, who, who overhears things but can't actually... Um, you don't know whether he's deaf or not. You think he's taking the mickey out of you? Yeah. Yeah, those, those types of people. It strikes me that directing something like this, Sam, must be a challenge because you've got to make the personalities really, really clear and the individual dramas involved with the characters in the first half. So you've got, a, you've got all that set up, which has to be quite carefully delineated, before and in order to then make the comedy that follows successful. Completely, and it's, you've hit the nail on, on, on the head in terms of the, the challenge of the work is that um, particularly when you're in, encountering all of this stuff around this is so funny, this work's very funny, um, it's got to be funny, um, it's the funniest play ever, uh, that it's tempting to 
yield to a desire to push for comedy right from the top of the show, where actually the greater comic effect at the end comes from making sure that you set up properly and that's actually about the kind of size of the playing style um, of the offstage work we did a lot of we did a lot of work particularly through um through previews about delineating um the kind of onstage uh performance style of kind of nothing on uh, as opposed to what these guys are doing when they're just being themselves or the act sorry the uh the fictional actor versions um uh of themselves and i think it is true that the 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 better you get to know these people and get to know them as real, complex human beings, um, the better their kind of uh, unravelling of circumstances plays out in the second half. And I'd also like to commend um, Sam, just from a, an acting perspective. He's had um, uh, five other people around him in the rehearsal process to help look at these issues. So an assistant director, an associate director, a movement director, a voice director. Uh, I mean, there's, there's been a, a team that's brought this to life. And, and, and actually, it's a um, uh, it's quite a crack team too. Uh, so with N- Nigel Poulton as as movement director, and you know, it's, it's a work that is incredibly dependent on the the specificity of its physicality uh, and some pretty serious physical challenges. Ray falls downstairs twice. Uh, Come and see that. Giving, yeah, without giving <laughs> um, anything anything away, and he's still going, still falling downstairs a lot. Uh, and also, Leif McPherson as um, as, as associate director in voice and dialect. Uh, coach as well. That's a that's a very important way of delineating on stage, off stage, and kind of capturing the world of the piece as well. One of the things that's also really important about a play like Noises Off is timing. Um, and so any farce depends on split-second timing. I think Melbourne audiences will benefit in that regard because it's already had that full Brisbane season. So in the, the notion of one door opening as another closes, people striding in, striding out, you could, you've had time to just, I imagine, get that down really sharply. We have, um, and there's a little celebration that happens backstage when we all close the doors. I mean, there's multiple door closings. I think at one stage there's nine eight or nine doors closing at, at once. Uh, and we've successfully done that many times. Um, but, it, yeah, I, I guess part of what you're saying is that as an ensemble, we've had time to grow together so that we can feel each other's paces um, and also breathe within the space that, that, that Sam has given us. Because sometimes there isn't time to breathe, but actually Sam makes more time. Yeah. He pushes it and makes more time. And it, it is true that the um, uh, the the synchronicity of it is is very important. And noises off is a play that you sort of never finish working on. Uh, and Which is still... what I've constantly heard that yeah. kind of so many directors and, and actors I've spoken to say it's the kind of show that you just keep like even if it's got a two year or a three year yeah. run somewhere yeah. it's still being tweaked and tinkered with. And yeah. Frayne Frayne has, has literally rewritten it over. 30 years um, and continually refined it um, through productions and we benefit from uh, that that kind of evolution and that gradual process of refinement but it does mean that yeah, the when we we open on stage in Queensland is one line in a, in a, in the sand when we open on stage in Melbourne is another one but all of those are just kind of points um, at which we kind of continue or points are just on an ongoing process of the gift of sort of working on this play uh, in front of people particularly which is quite delicious. Hugh Parker one of the actors on uh, in the show has actually stated once um, that there should probably be a support network for people who've done noises <laughs> off because it is that demanding. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure there's some kind of online group. group yeah. Yeah. There is somewhere else. Probably a secret yeah. Facebook yeah. group or something that you yeah, yeah, get inducted yeah. to after yeah. you've done a certain number yeah. of shows. Yeah, yeah. all yeah. hail Frayne or, yeah. or kill Frayne. Yeah. <clears throat> 
Sam, as I mentioned, this is a co-production between MTC and Queensland Theatre. Why program this particular play as a co-pro? Yeah, I think um, it, it suited the needs of both companies, particularly, I think, as well, and that um, uh, there's, there's, there was a few reasons um, for that. Uh, it hasn't been seen in Melbourne for a while. It hasn't been seen in Queensland uh, for a while, and it is such a deliciously entertaining experiences for, for audiences. Um, so uh, we thought it was, I think both companies thought it was kind of timely that um, another another production uh, rolled around as well. It also continues uh, a collaboration that will that um, has started between the two companies. Um, obviously, I'm, I'm still quite close to um, our friends at the Melbourne Theatre Company. It's lovely to work uh, together with them again. So it, it sort of, it, it was, there was a very neat fit uh, between what both companies were interested in doing uh, curatorially and, and where Noises Off sat in both of our, both of our seasons uh, as well. So it made, made, made quite a bit of sense. Um, I'm also really intrigued to see what you're doing as the Artistic Director at Queensland Theatre, kind of uh, pushing the company in a particular direction. What are your hopes and, and, and visions for the company and how have they been realised today? Yeah, I think the... Um, well, the, the, that one-sentence idea of leading, leading the country from Queensland is something I think we're, I'm really proud that we're, that we're making good on uh, and particularly that audiences are responding to uh, as well and always balancing your appeal to an audience with your leadership of your industry because uh, I think great, great arts leadership does both. Uh, and we're really thrilled with uh, the audience take-up. So we've got the highest number of season ticket holders or subscribers, as we call them down here, um, that we've had for 20 years, uh, which is wonderful. We've got the biggest national footprint uh, in terms of how many places we're playing in uh, around the country that we've ever had uh, at any time in the company's history. Uh, but even more than that, we've said that uh, those forms of industry leadership where we're saying, for example, that parity of gender parity of writers and directors is a given. Uh, I don't refer to it as a quota, but I think that's that's just what we should be programming now. Uh, also, in terms of the diversity of stories that we're putting on stage uh, and the diversity of of experiences that we're reflecting, um, particularly in our in our brochure, I think I'm really proud of the work that we've that we're doing there. And I think of our the two shows that we've got in rehearsal at the moment. Um, Rice has just opened, which is a Michelle Lee, a Melbourneian. Um, Michelle Lee uh, play directed by. Uh, Lee Lewis, Griffin's artistic director out of Sydney, co-pro between us and Griffin, a uh, story about a young Indian-Australian uh, executive and, and uh, the Chinese-Australian who cleans her office. Uh, and then immediately after that, um, or literally in the same night as we opened Noises Off in Melbourne, um, we opened My Name is Jimmy in Cairns, um, which is a Torres Strait Islander story uh, that puts uh, three, four generations of the one family on stage. So you have Jimmy, his son, his brothers, his mother and his grandmother um, all on stage in this wonderful story about preserving language and culture. So the fact that we're doing noises off in Melbourne at the same time as we're doing uh, rice in Sydney and my name is Jimmy in, in Cairns all on the same night, uh, <laughs> is that, that makes me really proud as an artistic director. How do you choose which one to go to? Uh, well, it's good. I, I, my, my, uh, I've seen I've, I've, I was there for the opening of Rice, fortunately, uh, and I'll, I'll actually fly to Cairns the day after we open to go and see uh, to see Jimmy in Cairns, which then comes back down to um, uh, to Melbourne as well. And uh, I will kind of keep an eye out for some of those other productions that I know are also waiting in the wings. Uh, the Octoroon. Which yes, which is the next one too. Yeah, so yeah, it's Nikki Louie's uh, directorial One of the debut. ones that jumped out of the program at me. So uh, yeah. yeah. Um, Right, you've worked with independent theatre. You've worked with uh, another major theatre company in Bell Shakespeare. What's it like um, coming in to work with Queensland Theatre? What are the What are you noticing that's different about the company, for example, from some of the other companies you've worked with? 
I guess I've I've noted um, a, a, a seismic shift in um, in it's 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 sort of like when I first left Queensland, which is in two thousand and four. I knew that the industry in Brisbane was something that I would always go back to, which I'm very thankful to go back to now. But I just didn't think that I would be able to um, have a career in Brisbane. Um, but looking at it now, this, the seismic shift that I've seen over the years from um, Michael Gow to Wesley to now Sam is that this little train just keeps getting bigger and bigger and it keeps taking more weight behind it um, to the rest of the country, which is exciting to see. And it, um, I guess now uh, being from Melbourne seeing the the artists uh, rather than escaping Queensland but actually going back to Queensland is very important because as an industry it can't just be the two major cities down south um, or west it's it's got to be all over the country and I know Sam you certainly had conversations with Todd McDonald who's the artistic director yeah. at La Boite about kind of strengthening the year-round culture uh, in Brisbane so that artists not just actors but designers and so forth can actually can think I can stay and make a career in Brisbane rather than... Because uh, actors are often, when they're not on stage, are looking at uh, roles in playing, doing something in an ad, for example, yes, or yep. voiceover work. A lot of that advertising and voiceover stuff is still based in Sydney and Melbourne. Yep. So uh, you can build up part of Sydney culture, uh, uh, part of the Brisbane and broader Queensland culture to, to uh, create roles for actors. What's happening outside of what the theatre companies are doing and how, how much hope is there that uh, somebody like Ray could live and work in Brisbane all year round, for example? Um, I think an enormous amount of hope. And I think the, to, to go back to the theatre company of that side briefly before or talk more broadly. Um, one thing that, and, and you mentioned Labuat and Todd, one thing that um, distinguishes, I think, the arts in Queensland is the capacity of companies to work together. Um, we do have, you know, Ask the Festival, uh, Labuat, um, and, and more heritage arts companies like, like the orchestra, like the opera, like the ballet. I think there's a very collegiate spirit uh, up there, so there's a there's a there's a sense that we're all part of a thriving arts community, uh, and we can all work together for the betterment of that community. I mean, I think that also extends even outside of the performing arts. Uh, so, you know, we ha- would have conversations with Screen Queensland, for example, about about joint initiatives and what writers we're both interested in. Um, so there's there's yeah, I think there is. Uh, and the film industry, for example, in, in well, yeah, Queensland in, is uh, the, yeah, um, the, the, the the premiers have uh, um, heavily backed uh, um, the industry to grow. So, um, movies that wouldn't uh, that have not um, filmed in Queensland and surrounding areas are starting to come back there because there's incentives for producers, and that also means incentives for actors to come back because you can work in the Gold Coast and still do a theatre show um, in Brisbane City. Uh, so, yeah, regarding the industry, it's, it's it, there's there's more infrastructure starting to be put, to be put in place. Great. To come back finally to Noises Off, which is running from the 8th of July to the 12th of August at Art Centre Melbourne in the Playhouse. Um, it's as a as a an English farce, an English comedy. Uh, it's it seems something that will that is a good fit for the traditional uh, MTC audience, the slightly older subscriber base, for example. But also, its reputation seems to be something that will transcend generations. Was that the case in uh, in its Queensland run? I think absolutely, and I think it's it almost. 
has a bit of an unfair rap as being kind of traditional subscription fare and that it's it's a um I kind of prefer to see it as a wonderful point of entry uh experience in that it it's a great thing for people who don't necessarily spend that much time seeing live theatre to come and to come and see. Uh because it's entertaining, because it's funny, uh because it's recognizable. So yeah, we 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 were quite heartened by the younger audiences that were seeing it. But also people who were seeing people who were coming to see it who weren't the kind of regular theatre goers that you would expect or anticipate in a in a kind of classic subscription or season ticket model. Uh, so yeah, I think it is. It's a really good introduction to theatre for people who um, who uh, don't uh, know how magical it is, uh, but also it's it's particularly recognisable, I think, for people who who understand the industry or have been in any way related to it. Great. I'm really looking forward to seeing it myself, having never seen a live production. So I know. Yeah. yeah looking forward to see you seeing it, guys. Thanks for coming in. Thank thanks you for having me today again. Thank you. This has been a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.